Hello, welcome to this week's new and very special episode of the Assembly Line, an NES homebrew podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin from Kahan Games. I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. And we're here not only to talk about homebrews, but we're here to talk about a homebrew competition today. Yeah, so we are actually going to devote the next couple episodes to covering the 2018 Nestev competition, which is sort of a yearly gathering of projects and people to um, sort of see what's out there. Yeah, and we've covered it briefly. Uh, You know, we've touched on it in previous episodes talking about, you know, when the deadline is and we've briefly touched on a couple projects, but we're going to go into a little bit more depth with each entry this time. Uh, We're going to talk to some of the developers themselves, sort of figure out uh, what their inspirations were, what the processes was like, and uh, we're going to meet some new people. Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, So what are your general thoughts on the competition, Kevin? What is the competition to you? I guess I'll start from the beginning. You know, when the competition started back in 2011, it primarily sort of took place on the Nestev forums, and I've never been a strong presence over there, so it was sort of outside my my little bubble of of things that I was going to be doing. So I paid attention to the entries and sort of you know saw who was coming in to do things. But as the years have gone on, and it's been a little bit more, I don't want to say it's been more inclusive because I think you know the, the way they've gone about doing things is pretty much you know the same as it's been in prior years but i think that you know since each subsequent year is sort of pulling in stronger and stronger entries i think it's become more of it's 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 more on people's radar now so um i was very happy to be a part of it this year and and submit you know nothing good can come of this but to make a long story short and i apologize <laughs> for being wordy here the nestef con- competition to me is an event that brings people together uh, from within and you know from without the community with one goal, and that is to make something on the Nintendo, be it a game or a tech demo or or anything really. Yeah, that is one of the neat things about the competition is it does give you that hard deadline, so something has to be submitted by a certain date, and it's done like in some form, whether it gets expanded later or whether you know there's bugs in it or whatever. At least in some form, it is being released, and then they of course do a cartridge with this. So I mean, like, project actually gets out there, and it's it's interesting to me for many reasons, but particularly in the fact that it gets things finished. Yeah, and there was some sort of speculation on, you know, between the people that entered that, like, you know, like you said, when the deadline comes, you're submitting your game, bugs and all. And since there's a little bit of a delay between when the competition ends and when the cartridge comes out, people were debating, like, can we fix bugs in this time? Or should, when we release the cartridge, should it be a true representation of the games as they were submitted at the deadline? So there was interesting discussions to be had, and we talked to Brad coming up um you know to delve into that question a little bit and on his thoughts but um it's been a very interesting sort of process seeing people's work over time and how it sort of transformed uh into actually what they submitted and it's interesting too because like the nestev competition actually brings out people who want to share their opinions and who have opinions about things and you know they they bicker back and forth about this or that but in the end it's because they actually care and so it's it's a big community gathering it's shaped by the people who are in it and it changes every year based on who's there so what have sort of some of the past highlights of the competition been in your mind 
So the one that comes to mind immediately is streamers. And that was the big one. Was it on last year's cartridge or the year before? That's the 2011 cartridge, the original volume. Holy cow. Has it been that long? Well, no, because it came out after the fact, but the cartridge wasn't released till 14. Okay. Yeah. It's still been around a while. Wow. Um, But that game, yeah, that game was actually just featured on the homebrew players competition, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was the February entry. A couple of the big names, uh, the big projects that have uh, sort of come out on Kickstarters within the last year, like Twin Dragons yeah, and, you know, Nebs and Debs, like those sort of got their inceptions in prior years for the competition, right? Yeah, that's one of the new things that we've sort of seen with the competition is that people have been submitting very full engines and like they can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but they don't quite have the time to finish the full game. So they do a very polished couple level demo that sort of has all the pieces and they can it's a way to show off a project early and you know it's still a complete game they're still treated as you know sort of full entries and it's not only like games that are entered into the competition there's a whole category for non-game type things right category two covers utilities and sort of other projects that don't fit the standard game format i guess yeah and a lot of times the projects that are submitted to category two are sort of more interesting to me than, you know, the ones in category one, because it's such a, like a catch all sort of non game type category that like people are a lot of times even more creative in what they're doing in that category than they were if they were just making a normal game. Well, another interesting thing about the competition and the competition cartridge is that between that time other things get added to it that were not actually submitted to the competition. So beyond like bug polishing and stuff like that, something like streamers actually got added onto the cart after the fact. And so it's a way to get things published that would not normally be published. And that's kind of a great service to the community. Yeah. Plus if you submit an entry, don't you, don't they give you a free cartridge? Yeah. You actually get a limited uh, cartridge. So the limited edition version and in 2014, the volume one, that was sold to the public, but then the uh, next one was only given to participants. Like, you couldn't actually buy the cartridge any other way. So, like I previously mentioned, the competition sort of brings a lot of different types of people sort of into the fold. There are people that are sort of mainstays in the community that you see pop up pretty often. But every year, it seems like there's a few people that sort of show up out of the blue um, that you you know haven't heard of before, and they are doing this amazing work, uh, and it's really exciting to see. Oh yeah, you'll see stuff from old time Nestevers like Teples or the Fox, and then you'll see brand new stuff from people like Zutano, who we're going to talk to next episode. Yep, it's really exciting, and it's it seems like every year you know the community is only getting bigger and bigger, and I think this sort of competition is a sort of a very big catalyst in that regard because you know it's it's sort of giving you a goal and it's sort of you know when you when people are showing up to Nestev and they're posting about their their projects and you know their updates as as they're working on things it really does sort of pull people in to give critiques and give suggestions and it becomes sort of a big community thing 
Well, the public side of the Nestev competition is, I think, one of the big draws because they do have, there's a whole sub forum on the, on the forums and people can talk about what they're doing and they can also then pull in collaborators. You know, if somebody needs an artist, they just, you know, put up a post that says, you know, I'm looking for an artist or a musician or somebody to do this part of the code or whatever. And it becomes this great sort of melting pot of ideas and creativity and the projects get stronger because of it. Yeah, and the projects have gotten really strong. I mean, you mentioned graphics. Graphics in particular, I think this year are sort of the highlight. Like it's I think it's the pinnacle of NES sort of art that I've seen uh, definitely in the competition, but maybe, you know, overall homebrew. Like they've they've done some really good work and you you see a lot of the same names sort of popping up in multiple, you know, from multiple projects. Yeah, there was even uh, jokes that this uh, year's competition should be called the Franken Graphics Competition. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of like how this first one was the streamers one. Yeah. Well, she deserves it. She does some awesome work. Yeah, anyways. (laughs) So this year's competition had 13 entries. Uh, They covered sort of a variety of genres and, and types. There were no category two entries, at least not yet. Sometimes those get tacked on after. I guess we'll just run down the list real quick and give you sort of an idea of what to expect in terms of what we're going to be talking about, but we're going to leave most of uh, the conversation this episode next to the actual developers. We've sort of decided to ask them sort of a standardized list of questions, so that way you can really compare answers and and ideas and thoughts across the uh, different participants. And uh, not everybody could be interviewed, sadly, various language things or just, just time. Or life, you know, stuff. But uh, so in those instances, Kevin and I will talk a little bit about them, but we're not really doing reviews like we often do. This is more just a chance to sort of expose the projects as much as possible. And I don't know about you, but personally, um, as a game developer, I don't think that I a lot of times have a platform to me to like to stand up on my soapbox and sort of give people you know, a rundown of like what inspired me to make my game. So I think giving everyone an opportunity to talk about their projects individually, I think it's great because I, I don't think that I've had a lot of opportunities to do that. So I'm, I'm thankful that we sort of have a platform to bring people on and talk about their stuff. Yeah. So the games that were entered, I'll just quickly go through them. There was Star Evil, kind of a remake of an Action 52 game. There's a That was by Pubby. And he also entered another game called F to FF, which was a racing game. There's Grunio Zerka by MT and uh, Lucas Kerr. There was Jam and Honey by Doug F, which was sort of a little platform arcade type game. Project Blue, which was a single screen platformer, uh, not like Battle Kid. And but like Battle Kid in that regard, <laughs> and there was Wolfling by Lazy Cow, which was sort of a very atmospheric uh, platformer, kind of a fun. Well, we'll get to that later. Inherent Smile broke some new grounds with sort of a pseudo 3D engine, which was which was very interesting. Oh, yeah. My Dao by the Mojan Twins. It's subtitled Cheryl's Nightmare. It continues their saga of Cheryl, which they've done on Genesis and NES. Robo Ninja Climb was submitted by Nathan Talbert, and that is a sort of a vertical scrolling, jumping. <laughs> I'm sure there's an actual name for it. It's not an endless jumper, but it could have been. Uh, Light Shields was done by Zutano, which is sort of like a pong meets space, uh, almost a space pong, I'd say. <laughs> 
Uh, I couldn't resist. And then... My game. Oh, yeah, and can't forget your game, which was nothing good can come of this, <laughs> which is a, a two-player fighting game, which Kevin and I have had the joy of observing at MAGFest the last couple times. And then Thomas of Spoonie Bard Productions, he submitted two games, part of his uh, Eskimo Bob Alfonso series. Uh, they're both Alfonso games. And even though these games eventually get released onto a competition cartridge, you can actually go download them all right now. Uh, they're free to download, free to play. Uh, you can interact with the developers on Nestev or Nintendo Age. And yeah, you know, jump in. This is a, it's a community event, so be a part of it. Yeah, and they're, they're like all over the spectrum of genres and art styles. It's been really, really fun. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we're going to split these across two episodes. Uh, there's just too much content because we wanted to let people, you know, chat away if they want to. Sorry to interrupt the regular schedule, but uh, yeah, it's, competition's never quite been covered like this, and uh, we're pretty excited for it. Absolutely. So who do we got first? So Project Blue had like two songs that I really couldn't decide between, and we are going to do the title screen for Project Blue real fast, and then we'll play the... Uh, level one track later but uh after that we are going to talk with nathan talbert this time mt brad bateman who helps uh, facilitate the competition doug f who did jam and honey and then toggle switch who did project blue that'll be sort of our lineup this time and then next time we will get to the rest so here is the title track from project blue community is interesting because oftentimes folks will sort of pop in for a year or two finish a project come and go stick with one system and whatnot but every once in a while we get get someone who's been around for years and years and has programmed for various systems and whatnot we're gonna talk with nathan tolbert who entered this year's nestev competition uh, but i actually remember reading about him back in like 0405 when I was trying to learn Game Boy Advance programming and so it's it's very it was very strange for me the first time I met him 
this person who was just, you know, I'm in my dorm room trying to figure out how to Game Boy program, which I never did, and just sort of interesting. So uh, I guess I'm going to let him talk a little bit about himself, though. Uh, Nathan, who are you? Hey, guys, how you doing? First, he's going to correct the pronunciation of his last name. I think you said it right, Colbert. So I think you said it right this time. Oh, well, <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> yeah, I've been we're doing homebrew for various things for a little while. Like you said, started with Game Boy Advance back in 2004, 2005, something like that. Uh, made a game for that and for Nintendo DS. And then from there, did a project for a, an Android game and then tried my hand at Atari 2600. And now I'm trying to learn NES development. So this has been fun. Uh, are you a programmer by trade, by chance? Yeah, I started off um, when I was a kid. Got a program or a computer for Christmas one year and started programming on it and loved it. So went to school to computer science, and now I'm writing software for the University of Illinois. And in my spare time, trying to crank out games. All right, so tell us a little bit about the game that you entered into the contest. Um, f- first, tell us the title, and then sort of describe the gameplay style. So this game, Robo Ninja Climb, is what I called it. Originally, it was going to be kind of one of these endless climber type of games, like the chintzy games you'd find on your cell phone nowadays. So you're a little robot guy, you're scaling walls in a kind of a big kind of, um, not tunnel, what's the word, pit type thing, and trying to avoid spikes. So it's kind of just a timing and action game. Um, It ended up not being an endless thing. I ended up putting levels in it instead, but kind of just a real quick dodge the spikes, climb the thing, and trying to get out game. Huh. You entered last year's competition as well with the four-player game Spacey McRacy. How was that uh, experience overall, and sort of how did it shape your entry when you went to do one this year? Well, this year, I originally wasn't even planning on entering anything. I read Spacey McRacy kind of as a test to see, hey, can I do this next development thing? And then I started into a bigger project. And then come about November, I suddenly sat down and said, you know, I want to make a game for this thing after all. It'd be nice to enter something into the competition. You know, you get a free cart if you enter something, and so I'd like to do that. So I kind of, <laughs> kind of at the last minute, I said, well, what can I make that I can kind of churn out kind of quickly? I have this Robo Ninja character from my Android game laying around. And I said, well, I can do something where he's just going through a different little adventure and try to scrap it together pretty quick. So that was kind of my goal. You said you threw it together pretty quickly. How long ago did you start working on it? And um, what language did you program it in? I did it mostly in C. I started kind of at the beginning in November, and then by Thanksgiving, I said, "Ah, eh, that's mostly done." Other than a little bit of testing and polishing. Wow. In the game, I'm the bigger game I'm working on. I'm kind of trying to do a mix of assembly and C. So it was kind of nice to sit down and say, "Can I do this game mostly in C or not?" And it turned out pretty well. There's a few routines I had to go back and rewrite completely because they were horrible the way they wanted to do it in C, but it worked out pretty well. So you said about about a month is what it took you? Yeah, I think so. Nice. And you said it was mostly inspired from, from cell phone games? Yeah, kind of. That, and also there was a homebrew game for the Atari 2600 called Wall Jump Ninja. And it ended up being a fairly different sort of game than Robo Ninja Climb was, but I kind of looked at it and said, well, this was fun. What made it fun? And tried to capture a little bit of that. So how did you come up with the title? And tell us uh, basically how you came up with uh, the Robo Ninja Dude. So the, the Robo Ninja dude started back on an Android game. I, I wanted to make a game for Android, and I kind of wanted to make a Metroidvania type game because I'm kind of obsessed with those. But I always get frustrated on the phone because the controls are so awful. And so everybody, you know, they do these endless runners where it's tap to jump. And I said, well, what if you made a game where it was a tap to jump Metroidvania, where the way you explored was you had to bounce off a wall to go the other way. And so it's all big tap to jump world. And I try to think what kind of character would 
run through a world like this. And I was like, well, it'd be this little ninja, but he's a robot because he can't, you can't control him. He just goes forward. <laughs> and so I came up with this robot ninja guy. Ah. And then the artist that uh, helps me with Anguna, he drew up the little sketch of this guy on the little wheel and gave him to me. So I said, well, that's perfect. So because I had the graphics for him laying around, I decided to use him for this new game. Ah, yes. The very talented Chris Hildenbrand, if I'm <laughs> correct. Yes. Yep. That's right. Name drop. He's quite, quite talented. Well, I came across some of his stuff, uh, month or two ago and was just like wait a second i know this name and sure enough i went back and i was like oh he did the, the anguna art look at that yep he's been doing all sorts of stuff recently but i'm not sure what i haven't been in touch with him for a few years hmm. so what it, uh, we know about like sort of the deadline influence that it had on the project but did the uh, mapper choice of mapper with the competition have any effect on things uh not really I mean, I, because I wanted to do a fairly simple game, it wasn't a problem at all putting it into the mappers that they required. When I did Spacey McRacy last time, I didn't do any banking or anything like that. And this time I needed, you know, two CR, or CHR banks, graphics banks, because I was using the large sprite. So to get all those animations in there, I had to use a couple of banks of graphics. But really the limitations of the mapper wasn't a problem. That is a huge sprite, too. I'm not used to seeing those on the NES. That was one of the fun things was to figure out how big I can make them and still make the game playable. <laughs> do you know of a bigger playable character on any nintendo game this guy from a styanax is pretty big i'm not sure how he compares huh i know the one in neotoxin the homebrew that snowbro did many many moons ago or tried to do uh it was very large but not uh, i don't think as wide as uh your robo ninja massive. yeah he was this one's four or five wide there you know there's that new homebrew that just came out with that runner game where there's some amazon lady that runs through the jungle that had an incredible animation with a giant character. Oh, was that um Indivisible? The one that Kasumi did? No, no, it was some Japanese company, I think. Oh, the Kira Kira Nightstar games. Yeah. Yeah, she was pretty big. I think. I don't know. A lot of sprites going on there, too. So, are there any particular NES games that you can see of, as having influenced this, or mostly just modern stuff? For this particular game, it was mostly that Atari game that I mentioned and then kind of the modern cell phone games, really. Okay. Although I kept, you know, when I was playing it, I kept getting pictures of the um, Battletoads going downwards instead of upwards, where you're going down the thing on the second level oh, trying yeah. to dodge the birds and the, the little zappy things. Any technical effects or anything that you sort of borrowed from other things or learned from, I should say? The only interesting technical effect, I think, was the spikes at the bottom. I had, you know, a Sprite Zero hit bobbing up and down to kind of look like they're, you know, chomping forward at you, which was kind of fun to do. But, I mean, technically, it wasn't that interesting. But it's the first time I had done kind of a moving Sprite Zero, which was made it fun to do. <laughs> I locked up my game quite a few times messing with that. <laughs> um, were you hoping to accomplish anything specific with uh, the game, either programming-wise or terms of life goals, like finishing something? I don't know. Really, it was the two main goals, kind of as I mentioned, were just, I would love to enter something in this competition, and I want to see if I can do it fast. I told my wife, I'm kind of in this three or four weeks, buckle down, like, put the kids to bed, I'm going to crank out a game. And so it was kind of fun to see. I can actually make a playable game that's kind of fun in a few weeks, which normally they take me three years, literally. So it was kind of nice to have something in a short amount of time. Yeah, it seems like you accomplished both of the goals that you set out to do. Yeah, so I was pretty happy with it. I think you just gave me a goal to accomplish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the four-year project schedule. Well, that's, that's similar to three years. So you used various assets from around the community on your project. Uh, it looked like from the credits. Um, sort of what was that process like? Did anybody have sort of a more active hand or were they sort of independent resources that you sort of pulled together? Mostly it was pulling things together. You know, I had the character graphics from Chris Hildenbrand. 
Um, I'm always looking out on open game art for cool graphics, and Cert has those amazing Nest graphics, so I pulled some backgrounds in from him. Um, I just did some searching for some cool fonts and found, uh, I don't even remember who made it. I'd love to credit that guy, and it's in the credits, but I don't remember right now. I made this cool computer-looking font. It was Woman. He uh, is administering Nestev, I think, currently. Oh, well, there you go. I didn't even realize that. From what I from what I hear. Yeah, and that font's awesome. I should have taken it for Ro- or Spookatron. Uh. <laughs> so really, yeah, it was mostly just going out and grabbing things. I had a guy, the guy that was doing music for the Haunted Halloween games. I talked to him for a while, but it didn't come together for including his music <laughs> on there. So I had to use my terrible song that gets really repetitive. Oh, we're going to play it in just a second. It's not repetitive at all. <laughs> if you'll only play a short snippet, it's not too bad. <laughs> Will do. Did you encounter any sort of specific hurdles along the way, or did everything go pretty smooth? I mean, the thing that always gets me on vertical scrolling games is the, you know, the seam between the 240 pixels of screen size and things being 256 pixels when you're doing nice even math. So that hit me a number of times. You know, I'd be off by 16 pixels in my collisions because something had advanced to a different screen, and that probably took more time than anything else. But other than that, it was pretty smooth. Huh. Uh, is there anything you sort of would have done differently in hindsight, either in terms of mechanics, features, or just your working process as a whole? Um, the biggest thing probably would have more variety and like obstacles and enemies. I originally had ideas of things falling from the sky and things shooting in different directions. And I kind of just, by the end, I was like, I don't even know how to make this fun. <laughs> and so I kind of dialed back on some of that and said, I don't know if it's going to make it any more fun or less fun, so I'll just leave it as it is. So obviously you had the success of meeting your goals, you know, finishing a game, entering it in the contest. Has there been any sort of other successes that you would consider that have happened, like from entering the game? Like, have you got a lot of feedback? Do you feel a, a nice sense of accomplishment from it? I mean, I definitely feel that sense of accomplishment. I haven't actually gotten that much feedback about it. You know, early on when I posted some builds, I got a little bit of feedback, but since the competition has been going, I haven't heard much about it. Really, what was the most fun is right before Christmas, I took my Nintendo into work and loaded um, a game on it and said, hey, everybody, come into my office and help me test this thing. (laughs) And so it's always fun getting people to sit down and just bang through your game and tell you what they like and what they don't like and have fun with it and watch them die a thousand times. See who's good at Nintendo and who's bad at Nintendo. And your friends probably are used to you having made games, you know, throughout your life. But I remember like when when I first started and I would bring something I made in front of my friends and be like, hey, play this. And they'd be like, wait, <laughs> yeah. you made this? And I'd be like, yeah. And they like they couldn't comprehend. Well, especially since it was playing on hardware. People have seen like, OK, <laughs> you can make a game. But when you pull out the old Nintendo and say, OK, try my game. It's kind of fun. For sure. Yeah. Do you have any plans to expand uh, Robo Ninja Climb past the competition, or is this sort of it for the life of the game? That's probably it. I mean, I don't know. I might come back later and get inspired and try to add some more levels and things. But right now, I've got my head down doing this kind of Metroidvania game that I'm working on now, and it's taking up all my spare time. So that and an Atari project that I'm kind of working on at the same time. I, I know your your NES project looks amazing, and we will. Well, that's all thanks to Franken Graphics making it look good. Well, but the you know you you've got quite a bit of design in there too. It's almost like Blaster Master esque. That's the goal. Back when I made Inguna back in two thousand five, I said I'm either going to make the Zelda game or I'm going to make a Blaster Master game, and I ended up making a Zelda game. But I wanted to do the Blaster Master one since <laughs> you know fifteen years ago. So, dang, that's awesome. Well, I'm super excited. We'll have to chat more about that in a future episode. Thanks, yeah. All right, uh, we appreciate you coming on, Nathan. 
we mentioned we were going to play the not at all repetitive song from your game. So we're going to let everyone listen to that right now. So I appreciate you coming on. (laughs) Excellent. As we've seen, the Nestev competition is sort of a great time to find collaboration with projects and sort of pull people together to to work on different things. And often we cross international lines, we cross genre lines, different things that people are interested in. But uh, we are actually going to speak now with MT, one of the uh, graphics artists from Project this year, at least one project. We'll find out if there's more. And <laughs> yeah, you there, MT? Yeah, man, I'm here. Awesome. Um, so I guess uh, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, sort of what you've done in the past. What do people in the community sort of know you for, that type of thing? Uh, I don't know, man. I guess uh, folks would probably know me best for making sure that Isolation didn't come out two years ago and is still in works. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. When that game comes out, it's going to be awesome. Indeed it is. Other than that, uh, let's see. Bo for you, I did... Uh, box art for swords and runes regular edition and the map and the map and the map there oh yeah such a good map i think uh i think probably the most attention we've gotten so far lucas kerr and myself we uh we released cowlet gamer's second adventure uh last year oh was he the programmer on that he is he is man that guy is uh oh. that guy is wild he's uh <laughs> what he's do you done mean a lot of games like just the the rate that he can put stuff out and the quality he can get it at. Like uh, I try to keep up with him on the art level, and you know I'll, I'll put something together and and I'll send him an idea, and you know fifteen twenty minutes later he's just like how's this and sends me a rom back. <laughs> wow, <laughs> and you know you know it's like that or, or time zone difference. Like I'll send him something and go to bed, and I'll wake up and something's done. And uh, so that guy. That guy's done a lot of stuff. So you're saying I need to get on his level for isolation? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't even keep up with him if you were working that fast. <laughs> but uh, no, we did, uh, we did that together. And uh, then, uh, you know, that's for uh, Cowlitz, uh charity fundraiser and whatnot. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the one that John Hancock puts on. Yeah, yeah. Or the immortal John Hancock puts on. <laughs> he uh, he messaged me a while back, and and he was like, "I'm a." Uh, I'm putting together a puzzle platformer for a, a Polish charity event, which Lucas is from Poland. And he was like, it's going to be real small. And, uh, and I want to use some open game art for most of the stuff, but I need some sprites for a guinea pig. Would you be willing to do it? And considering that he had spent 18 months programming CGA two from a pitch that I sent him, <laughs> I was just like, yeah, yeah, I'd do it. But wow, you know, Kevin, uh, when I get on a project, it's hard for me to not, take on more responsibilities you know <laughs> no man like i mean you know when we started working together on isolation i i don't even remember my, my memory is awful but i don't even remember sort of how we got uh introduced or like started working together but you know i i had no idea what to expect but everything that you sort of started suggesting from the start like it was all amazing so like I was totally cool with you sort of bringing whatever you wanted to uh, to the project. So, uh, I mean, your talent sort of speaks for itself at this point, I'd say. <laughs> well, thank you there. Talent and, you know, development time, I guess, is the, the main cost <laughs> of it. But I don't want to talk about myself the whole time. Um, what games are you involved with, and how the hell do you pronounce them? Just two. Let's see here. Uh, so, Grunio Jersa is the uh the guinea pig puzzle game that uh Lucas and I are doing and I'm practicing my Polish pronunciation trying to get those letters right and I'm still too shy to even say Lucas's name with the Polish pronunciation there but you're doing better than me. <laughs> well, at least you're not saying Lucas. No, I knew you were going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin. It actually be uh I'm pretty sure it'd be Wukash. Oh wow. Oh, that's much more elegant than I was thinking. I've been I've been talking to him so long and you know the the voice in my head was always just Lucas from it so it's weird for me to just say Wukash out loud but wow. <laughs> and I'm probably wrong on that too mispronouncing it but uh yeah. so the guinea pig game uh Grunio Jersa too and uh the Project Blue from Franken Graphics and uh Nestev member Toggle Switch Yeah I don't have much to do with the version that's released for Nestev, but uh, Franken Graphics got in touch with me, and I'll be doing uh, box art and illustration for the final release of that when it comes up. Oh, cool. Um, what kind of projects have you sort of been involved with in the past in regards to the competition itself? For last year's competition, I wasn't involved to begin with, but after the entries were released, I... I got pretty excited about them. There were a lot of really good ones last year, and uh, there are good ones every year. Oh, yeah. So uh, I volunteered to do the uh, the box art and design for last year's for the Action 53 Volume 3 release. And uh, it's been held up a little bit on... Uh, it was held up on my end last year for a bit as we tried to coincide it with some other printing and, and then held up a little on Infinite NES Lives, but... Last I heard, he's trying to get all those put out this week, maybe, waiting on some updates. Okay, which will probably be like last week after the podcast is done, so go buy that now. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. So that was fun. Did all those illustrations, and, uh, you know, there were, a lot of, uh, there were a lot of titles to represent there. Was it like 20, 21 titles? Um, not just from the competition, yeah, but everything that, that went into the multi-cart. So it was fun trying to get all all of those titles represented in one illustration equally, you know? Last year was a good turnout, yeah. 
So you mentioned that one of the two games you worked on um, was Grunio Zerka uh, 2. Can you describe the gameplay style a little bit for the people that aren't familiar? Uh, yeah, Grunio Zerka 2 is a puzzle platformer. In the game, you play as a guinea pig. Uh, the guinea pig's owner has been lost in their family cellar. And as the guinea pig, you must travel through each room to go find the guinea pig's owner, who was apparently locking all the doors behind him as he was traveling through the cellar and leaving the key on the opposite side for the guinea pig to find. <laughs> but uh, its uh, its main gameplay mechanic is uh, finding and placing blocks. So excuse my ignorance this this game's a sequel like there was an original yeah i uh i guess that's going to be my thing now uh what was it cowlitz gamers adventure came out and the only thing i did on the first one was the box art and then the second one definitely uh you know lucas and i worked on that on probably equal parts and he, he put out this game grunia jersa last year it's an annual charity event put on by uh arhan dot eu it's called gramitativnier and they raise money each year for a cause and last year he had put out this game grunia and it's uh it's a basic kind of arcade-ish uh you control the guinea pig you move left to right at the bottom of a screen and you're catching falling carrots hmm. ah so like it was on the nes then Right, that was a NES title. Oh wow! Um, I believe later someone ported it to the C sixty four. Awesome! Huh. I don't usually miss one like that big. Uh, that's all. I'm excited to go do some research. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it's a fun thing to Google. It's it's not a very large game for the original event. That first one, when they auctioned off, they auctioned off. I think a few copies of it for the event. And the highest winner got the rights to the source, and he put it up on GitHub. No kidding. Wow. Download, you know, the ROM's free to download there. And, and I think you can check out the source and everything, too, if I'm not mistaken, as well. That's awesome. Man, I've apparently been, like, shut away in a closet for the last year. <laughs> uh, so, sort of when did, do you know when work on the project sort of began? And sort of when did you come on board in that process? Well, Lucas messaged me in November, uh, late November, and... From the looks of the uh, the build he had had and, and, you know, the pace he works at, I assumed it was something he had worked on a couple of days before he messaged me. And he had, uh, he had the main gameplay mechanic pretty much down. He, he knew that in the game you wanted to be able to collect uh, kind of Tetris-shaped blocks for platforming and then place them and then have a tool that can then remove them. And, and that was what he had when he came to me. Hmm. So had like the hammer been decided on or was like sort of the finer details sort of a collaborative process? The visual theme hadn't yet been decided on. Oh, wow. Okay. There was a guinea pig and, and he was using kind of some dungeon graphics for a seller. Like uh, definitely had a more medieval feel to the background. Medieval guinea pigs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was wanting to put it out real soon, um, much faster than we did. and. You know, I tend to do, asked to do a few more things for him and extend the, the development time a little bit. So I got the guinea pig graphics done. And then I was like, I'd, I'd really like it if I could do the background art too. You know, it'd be better for me to just have my credits there for the whole game and, and have a cohesive visual style to it, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. It really does have that cohesive visual style too. I mean, 
you kind of do some different things with sort of the title screen and sort of the uh, narrative kind of things in between. And then just the actual game graphics themselves, they all mesh very well and they're very sort of distinct. Oh, thank you. Uh, One of the things that I really keep in mind when I'm working is color choice and cohesive palettes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, you know, if you were to open it up and with a PPU viewer and check a palette, you'll notice that half of our background palette never changes. Interesting. The two sub palettes that are used to represent all of the uh, chew toy blocks, all of the blocks that you place, they're the two sub palettes that are used for all of the title screen and the the quote screens and stuff. Man. So when you took over with the background graphics, you know, after you sort of took ownership of them, did you recreate kind of what he was already using or did you sort of go in your own unique direction to come up with your own sort of setting for things? I started off by trying to recreate what he was using and... I wasn't really digging the way it was coming out. Uh, not only did it have like a medieval dungeon theme to it, but it also like uh, the edge of the graphics, they kind of faded out to the the black of the outside screen. Like when you had a smaller room on the screen than the size of the screen. Hmm. Lately, I've, uh, I've been playing a lot of games from uh, Android developer Adventure Islands. Are you familiar with their games? They did a oh, Heartstar. Duke Dashington. No. I don't play anything <laughs> new, hardly. Yeah, I don't play a ton of mobile games. They have these really good games on Android and, and iOS both, and uh, they're one of the few developers that are putting out like retro-style games that take advantage of the system well and feel correct instead of, I don't know, a lot of the, the new retro-style games that are being developed just feel off and a little uncomfortable, but they're great. Anyway, um, sorry. He has a he has a specific graphical style um, that he uses in his games, and and I like the way he did lighting on the walls and edges of his puzzles. So I definitely used his games as a as an inspiration for the background graphics. I would say. Were there any NES games that sort of influenced your style on this particular one? Honestly, not really. Uh, not you know. I mean, subconsciously, I'm sure they're plenty of them but uh maybe prince of persia would be the first thing that would come to mind Ooh, nice yeah the animation is very fluid in in comparison to that i'd say yeah for sure yeah that was that's the main inspiration from there yeah you know he'd come to me and and the game has no enemies it has no projectiles it has nothing sprite wise on the screen that that isn't controlled by the developer you know the position of it. So we don't have to worry that much about scan line resources and whatnot. So I was like, well, I'll do this. I'll do this guinea pig sprite, but if it's the only character in the game, let's, uh, let's use a whole pattern table for him. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, nice. it's like, let's, uh, let's give them, let's give them a lot of frames of animations and transitions between, and, uh, you know, things like, uh, I, I had sketched out some stuff on graph paper and I'm like, Oh, I think it'd be cool when he goes to the edge, if he kind of teeters and looks scared and then like flip, and tumbles when you have to climb down and and then later lucas added that amazing just like slide whistle sound effect when he's falling <laughs> Man. love it it does have like way more frames than almost any other nes game that i've seen and you know you could achieve that with like character ram uh and still have other characters and stuff but 
and and even some of the there were some animations I had wanted to put in there that that we decided to cut. And he was like, "Well, we're using character RAM. I, I can swap them out and put them in there." And I was just like, "No, like let's let's leave it at one pattern table to keep from extending the the development time more." You know? Yeah, it's sort of a tough call to make, but sometimes one you have to. I think it's interesting when developers or artists are more influenced by sort of modern games and it gets put back into the NES's life than, uh, than the other way around. So it's interesting to hear. I have to apologize for forgetting one. Uh, you asked about NES influences and a huge one was Filthy Kitchen from Dustmop from last year's Nestev competition. I haven't. No, I haven't seen that. You throw the fly swatter? Oh, uh, well, it would be of particular interest to you. I think I, I'd remembered uh, some talk on the, the previous podcast episodes about a game where you would need to throw a hat. Was it a Gatsby game? Is that right? <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap this up. Got to go. <laughs> but uh, the way that you would uh, describe that mechanic of throwing the hat and it coming back to you, like that's, that's the key thing on Dust Mop's Filthy Kitchen. You have this fly swatter and you throw it and it like boomerangs around. And, ah. and if you duck so that it misses you, it keeps boomeranging back around. So you rack up these combo points. Damn it. That's exactly what I need, Bo. That's exactly what I need. Well, I'm not going to finish it now. So <sighs> you can go talk to Dustin. All right. But uh, anyway, last year uh, on the Nestev competition, you know, they were they were posting progress and and I contacted Dustin on it and given some uh, some feedback on the graphics and he had sent me a build of the ROM and, and I was doing a, a checkout on it and checking things out and making suggestions like, oh, you could do this here and you could do that there. And I was playing through and I realized that his food items just looked amazing. They look like these little 16-bit sprites floating around in NES games. So when I checked it out in the PPU viewer, I found out that all of his food items, they're uh, two sprites overlaid over each other. Ah. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. And the result is that he has this really nice, like, a uh, double outline on the sprites. It has a black outline and a white outline, so it doesn't matter what part of the background it shows up on. They, they pop really well, and then they have a few extra colors. So uh, I messaged him uh, early in development after I put together the carrot graphics for Grinio Jarrison. And I was just like, hey, man, you know that the filthy kitchen, uh, that filthy kitchen item style, I'd really like to use it on this new game coming up, if you don't mind. <laughs> was he cool with it? He was real cool with it. Um, nice. And, you know, it's that's another thing. You wouldn't be able to do it if you weren't controlling your scan line usage real heavily. Like uh, a lot of our items are three tiles wide, even though they're only you know, eight or 10 pixels wide. Hmm. Dang, I hadn't thought of doing white outlines like that. Yeah, that's cool. Very, very clever. It's nice. So when you set out uh, doing the graphics for this project, were you hoping to accomplish anything specific, uh, either graphics-wise or in terms of goals? Two main goals, and I think I've talked about them both already. Uh, one was just I wanted really fluid animation with a lot of like a visual character to him. I wanted the the character to feel like a character and not just someone you're controlling in a game. You know what I mean? Like facial expressions. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like yeah. when you watch like 3D fighting games and, and like uh, their faces don't change expression when they're doing things. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't. Actually, what was it? There's, there's a new Mega Man coming out, like a Mega Man 11, I guess. And, uh, it's, you know, 2.5D game or, or whatever. And, oh, that was, yeah. and as I was watching the video of it, it's the first thing that stuck out to me is that the, the times that Mega Man's facial expression changed are really rare. So it's like controlling an action figure, like playing with dolls, you know? So 
facial expressions were something I wanted to do. Did you encounter any hurdles along the way that sort of held you back at all, or did everything kind of go smoothly? I would say the biggest hurdle, uh, and I guess a challenge, the biggest challenge we had was level design, hmm. which that was something that stretched out CGA2, uh, Cowlitz Gamer's second adventure, when we were first working on it, as I had, I had put together a mock-up and, and just sent to uh, Lucas, and I was just like, hey, man, you know, if you were to ever do a sequel, I think it'd be cool to do it like this. And he's just like, yeah, put together the graphics. Uh, I'll, I'll put together a ROM. And, you know, later I was just like, uh, how about some co-op? And he's just like, yeah, put together graphics for a second player. I'll put together some co-op. And, <laughs> and then I was just like, uh, I think making it longer would be better. So the first CGA was like, uh, it was eight screens and they looped on four difficulties. And I was like, what if we did 24 or maybe even 48 screens? And he was wow. like, yeah, design the levels and I'll put it together. And, and then suddenly I realized I'd never done level design before. <laughs> <laughs> Not so easy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, there were a lot of weeks last year I spent uh, reading up on platformer design and stage design and, and things like that. And I got really into it. Graph paper by my side all the time, designing levels all throughout the day. And uh, level design, we had all together 54 stages in that game. And the level design definitely was like, I'd say 70% of development time. I, I don't know. It was a lot of time. Puzzle platformers especially. Yeah, which even CGA2, it it visually looks like an arcade platformer, but in terms of gameplay, it's more puzzle-based because there's no combat and everything is on like a set pattern you go around. But uh, for Grunu Jerza, Lucas was like, oh, I'll put together the levels. And, you know, I thought that was fun because then when we were finished, I'd be able to play it and and all the puzzles would be new to me, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. suddenly, uh, you know, a few weeks into development time, he's just like, man, with uh, the players can put blocks anyway, designing stages for this is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you know, you have to have a puzzle. You have to have like a solution and then other optional solutions. You can't just have one solution to every puzzle or it's not going to be that fun. You have to balance like how many solutions there are to each puzzle and and it was challenging from the freedom we were giving the player. So, so and I told him, I said, uh, well, let me take a crack at it. You know, I've been reading up a lot, watching, what was it, Mark Brown's YouTube videos? You ever watch those YouTube videos, gameplay? Mm -hmm. I don't really watch YouTube. Game Maker's Toolkit, I think is what it's called. Reading up on some of that stuff. And uh, so I was like, oh, I'll put together the, the rest of the stages too. He had the, the first six stages done then. And uh you know, putting together, uh, sometimes I'd, I'd work for a day on a stage and I'd have it all penciled out on paper and then I'd, uh, I'd put it together and I'd have this real elaborate solution planned and I'd send it to Lucas and he'd send me back like, a, you know, an FCUX movie and he'd beat it in like, you know, 11 seconds because of something I'd looked over. <laughs> 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 One of the things we added uh, in there to make that easier, uh, as you progress a bit in the game, you'll find that there are some... Uh, background bars like barred windows in the basement and where there are barred windows you can't place a block and by being able to restrict the player from not being able to place blocks in certain locations uh really opened up a lot of options in terms of design hmm. sort of in hindsight is there anything you would have done differently in terms of kind of your graphic features mechanics working process you name it there are uh there are a few things that are coming up that we didn't get to or, or something along those lines that we might be putting back into the game before the action 53 card release comes out. Uh, you know, a few bugs have shown up and stuff and oh, cool. 
I think there are one or two rooms in the game, one or two screens where the difficulty spike is a little strong, like uh, that would need a softer introduction to them, but, but nothing that's too terrible, I don't think. Well, it looks like, you know, the projects that you were involved with are getting really good feedback. Everyone seems to be digging them. Um, so I'd say that in, in itself is a success, but what would you consider to be the greatest success that this project uh, sort of has brought? Early talks of the game had involved including uh, more dexterity-based playback with like uh, enemies to avoid and lasers and stuff like that. And Lasers? Yeah, yeah, you know. Laser gerbils? Why not? It's a basement, you know. I like laser gerbils, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, uh, there was one puzzle I really wanted to get in there. And I'd worked a few a few versions of it out, and I wanted to have something where the ground underneath you would would destroy, and then while you're falling, you pick up an item, and then suddenly you have to use it real fast before you finish the the fall. Mm. And we uh, we tried a few a few versions of that, and I realized that that was the only real dexterity based puzzle in this whole game. So uh, we decided to take it out as. Without it, we have an entire game that's playable by anyone, regardless of motor control capabilities. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there, there aren't a lot of games where you can sit down and, and you can play them if you don't have the fastest, like, uh, you know, hand-eye coordination or anything. And there was a post, uh, I wish I had Googled it so I could have quote them correctly, but there was a post in the Nest Dev forums uh, maybe last year or sometime, and someone had said, I really like puzzle games where you can just look at the screen for five minutes, decide what to do, and then do it. So uh, I, I tried to adhere a bit to that, and I think we were fairly successful in that. There are a few things where the game seems like it's a little dexterity-based. Like uh, There are a few things where you do have to use things while you're falling, but when you enter cavi vision, which is the mode where the guinea pig can place blocks, it slows down time matrix style, so... Uh, you really have a lot of time to do it, and if you don't do it, you can just try it again. Like there, there's no death in the game, you know. That's a. It takes quite a bit of like design savvy and wisdom to sort of cut those what would be really cool parts, but then you know preserve the actual gameplay. So that's it's pretty neat that you did that. Are there any plans to kind of expand Grunio's Airsha uh, post-competition or <laughs> shut it? Or uh, sort of where is this going from here? Well, we, uh, you know, it was originally associated with the charity, so we don't want to go too large or do anything to, to individually profit off of our efforts. I think the, the next thing we have in mind is uh, we're working on a level editor for the same gameplay mechanic. And uh, the level editor. Oh, cool! We would then maybe put online and let people create levels, and then for next year's charity event, just release a compilation of levels instead of developing a, a new game from scratch. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think two of us in this room have already tried that and failed. So yeah. best of luck. I hope, your, hope yours works better. <laughs> the incident was uh, was actually our main like inspiration on the level editor thing. Oh, that's why Kevin brought you on. That's really nice of you to say, man. He likes to hear things like that. I mean, I do, but it's not something I expected to hear. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. <laughs> All right. So I think we've touched pretty good on everything. Is there anything else that you'd like to sort of share to the world while you're still on here? I should mention music. 
all the music in the game is from uh, Shiru. It's all uh, it's all stuff that he's released under uh, Creative. Uh, what's the CC? The CC licenses, and uh, it's awesome. Some really great stuff, and the contrast that it brings to the game, I think, really helps it a lot. Yeah. And Lucas did all the sound effects. They're they're great. Uh, speaking of music, do you have a favorite uh, track that you want to send this segment off on? I guess so. Uh, maybe Encounter. All right. Would be the uh, the title of the track there. Okay, we will now listen to Encounter. Thanks so much for coming on. It was great to finally talk with you in real time as opposed to just emails. Yeah, it was really uh, really fun finally getting to hear your voice. Ooh, it is deep. I could fall asleep to this voice. <laughs> <laughs> Many people that are integral to the Nestev competition, but one of the foremost and most behind the scenes, if I may say, has been Brad Bateman, who we talked to a couple episodes ago. But we're going to talk with him again, sort of about his involvement, what he's been up to, and can you sort of tell us a bit about yourself, Brad, and your role in the competition? I think I covered it a little bit in the last one, but um, I just kind of took the reins and made an idea into an actual competition and I've just kind of been following through with it through the years and trying to keep it rolling so we can see some new stuff. When did that sort of begin, I guess? I don't know when the original post exactly was, but the first year that we actually ran it was 2011 and this will be the the fourth time um that we've ran the competition. So, uh it's 
getting a li- lot more common. We kind of missed a couple years here and there, but so far 2016, 2017, and the plan is with 2018 and ongoing. Uh, was anything in, sort of in place before you joined, or did you sort of sort of sprout this all? No, it wasn't just me. I mean, Thread was started on Nestev, and they kind of went through and had a bunch of different ideas, and it just kind of died away. And I'm like, I want to see what people have been working on, because a lot of times in this community, you see a lot of teaser photos or like animations or short little videos, but nobody's actually willing to release what they have or polish something up to a point where it's actually finished. So the whole point of the competition was me trying to push to see these um, homebrews actually released to the public or, you know, available for sale or, you know, whatever. So you alluded to the fact that there was a thread made at some point to sort of vaguely discuss um, sort of how the competition would turn out. But how was the format itself sort of determined? Well, I had kind of asked um, on the forums, like, if anybody has ideas, and then anybody who had ideas would would post them up. And it just got to the point where nobody was, you know, volunteering any more details. So we just kind of made it up and just kind of went with it. And every year we kind of review the previous years and try and figure out what worked and figure out what didn't work and uh, hopefully improve on that so it's uh, smoother for everybody and we can just... uh, Do you remember how much of that was you sort of throwing ideas out or how much was sort of the community sort of suggesting things? um, I don't know if I could put an actual percentage on what it was. Um, I guess it wasn't my idea initially to have like a competition cartridge like we've done in previous years where we put all the entries onto a cartridge. At least I don't think it was. That was eight years ago. So (laughs) my memory doesn't go back that far, but... um, Join the club. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think it was decided fairly early on that we were going to stick to just NROM, basically the most basic um, mapper so that if we wanted to, we could put it into a a compilation cartridge and uh, use it to fund the future competitions. I know you've had a couple different categories over the years, Category 1, Category 2, with Category 1 sort of being normal games, and then Category 2 being, I don't know, I guess utilities. Uh, what's kind of happened to Category 2? I guess it just kind of kind of died out a bit. I mean, this year there was technically a, a Category 2, but Category 2 was just a, a free-for-all category. I don't know, like anybody who wants to can can submit anything to go onto the cartridge. Um, but as far as prizes and, and judging is, it's really hard to judge things like, you know, uh, a paint program or a little like music player or a screensaver type thing. You know, those things are not easy to judge. So it's kind of hard to say, OK, we're going to allot this amount of money to this because, you know, it's worth it, you know. If people want to do these things on the side and add them, you know, that's kind of why we left that free-for-all category out there. So, yeah, even if it doesn't work on the cartridge, at least you can get some exposure from Category 2. Did you say this was the third year or the fourth year? Uh, this this is the fourth year. Okay. So, let's say there's been, let's just average, I don't know, 60 entries total um what have been sort of some of the highlights of the entire overall experience for me what i think is the the highlight is um it's really clear 
because the first one was 2011. Um, it's clear that there has been some definite progression in the community. If you compare, you know, the, what was it, seven from the first year to the 13 that we got this year, you know, just everything about it, the music, the graphics, you know, just how smooth the games play and everything is just so much, so much better. Like I can't pick a particular game that I think, you know, stands out of the crowd because this year, especially I find that, you know, there's a lot of, lot of choices and a lot of hard decisions to make for the people who are uh, judging the competition. Yeah. The graphics in particular, I think have sort of come leaps and bounds, especially this year. There's, there's so many super talented graphic artists that are sort of showcasing their talent. And I think another thing about this year and even the last year is there's been a lot more um, group efforts instead of just, you know, one guy coding and programming, you know, there's dedicated pixel artists that aren't really into the programming, but they've been hanging out on the NES dev website and Nintendo age, just showing off their pixel art skills and wanting to be a part of these projects and even commercial projects. So it's really cool that people like that are, are coming around and uh, helping us out. Having overseen the competition for so many years, what are you particularly proud of seeing up here? Oh, well, what I really like is that the communities um, are just really starting to come together. Like I know for a long time, there's been a lot of animosity between, you know, certain people or certain groups that, you know, kind of stick to their own, uh, stick to their own little corner of the NES homebrew community. But you're seeing a lot of people more willing to give advice and, and help others out. And um, I think that's, that's really good because, you know, it can be kind of over, overwhelming just coming in and not knowing what to do and to go somewhere and find a friendly voice and have someone who's willing to help or has provided documentation or tutorials or videos to help somebody out. I think that's, that's awesome. And that wasn't around when we uh, first started the competition. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, when these newer people have sort of come in, you know, when they've come into Nest Dev or they come into Nintendo Age, they don't necessarily have that negative stigma stigma associated with, you know, one side or the other side. It seems like they they just want to sort of be there for the betterment of, you know, homebrew in general. They bring their sort of um, you know, what they're good at to the table and that's all they're focused on, making the best game possible that they can. So it's been great uh, sort of seeing the community evolve to this level. But aside from that, and I got off on a tangent there, I'm sorry. Um, you, you know, you've done this contest for a few years now, um, and you sort of had a structure set by this point. But is there anything that you would like to sort of try out in the future or, or add to the competition? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's one thing that's always kind of bothered me and that was the the way that the judging was structured like not necessarily the categories or or anything like that but um the actual submission of games and stuff like this is this is a community effort um i don't think there's any reason why the community shouldn't be able to vote on you know they think deserves to win you know as as a coder person who's programming you look at things a lot differently because you see something it's like okay like i know how difficult that was but do we need to be focusing ourselves on these special effects you know or 
focus more on content or like it's not it's not just the the programmers that should have the say because it isn't just about us it's about everybody else as well it's very true is there anything that you've sort of seen over the years that hasn't really worked and sort of fallen by the wayside things that we've sort of shed as we've gone along yeah definitely this year in the category one we pretty much said no apps or utilities in category one just because um they're just so hard to judge in comparison to the games they don't fit into the categories because a lot of times it's like okay you know sure it fits fits the criteria for the mapper and everything like that but you can't really play it so what's the point <laughs> i mean we did throw around like an app idea a while back where it was just be like really small things that we could bundle together or something like that but i think just having the two categories of games and whatever else works well because category two even though it's not um in the prize categories with uh with cash prizes you still get your name on the cartridge and you get a free game and you also get you know you get your stuff published i mean that's pretty good <laughs> for sure i originally signed up for nestev back in i think 2009 when i released frogger um, but it seems like from from the start, you know, I, I'm not a huge presence there, but I've sort of lurked for a few years. Um, and it seems like for a long time, there was this sort of anti-release attitude where like people just wanted to kind of like release things for free, but like not necessarily put them on the cartridge. What prompted the decision for you to decide to like put all these uh, entries on a physical cartridge and release them? I think after, I mean, the first year we with the prizes, it was just donation from community members, like people who had been part of part of the community for a long time, and um, so it was just a just an idea. And uh, Paul from Infinite NES Lives had been working on a bunch of hardware and stuff, and then I think it was Tepples that um, conceptualized the mapper, and he built the hardware for it. And I guess the rest is history. Um, just the sale of all the uh, compilation cartridges. That's what we've used to fund everything in the past for competitions and hopefully into the future, as long as everything keeps selling. <laughs> Was there any sort of resistance um, when you sort of announced that you were going to be releasing it on a cartridge? Was there anyone there that was sort of against that whole idea? Not that I remember. I mean, I think, I think that's one of the things that actually drew a lot of people to be a part of the competition because... You know, maybe it's not feasible for their little game to get a full cartridge release, but as part of a compilation, you know, it fit just fine. So I think, I don't think it hindered as much as actually helped. What is the judging process sort of like? Are there any issues with the balance between sort of fun versus serious projects? Or how does that kind of work? I don't know about balance. I mean, because obviously there is a lot of differences between the between the submissions, you know, and some of the stuff you like when you first play it, you don't you don't even understand what's going on or you think that you think it's broken. But uh, <laughs> I know hopefully you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we try and make it as fair as possible. So um, each person that submits an entry gets to gets to judge and we say automatically if you submit an entry, you get to mark yours for full marks. So that way you're not feeling biased. Like you're not comparing yours to 
to somebody else's, right? Um, and also incentivizes people to actually do the judging because we've had people in the past who just, you know, didn't want to do it, didn't want to be a part of it. But, you know, if they're actually interested in winning, then their best best chance is to actually vote. Yeah, because if you're not voting, I mean, there's less of a chance of your individual game, you know, missing out on those full marks that you would give it yourself. Exactly. Yeah, you're just giving yourself a handicap there that you don't really need. So I know when sort of things were being determined of how they would be scored or how how they would be released, um, there was sort of a debate on whether people should be able to continue to sort of refine their game after the submission process up into the actual physical release of the cartridge, like fixing bugs or adding features. How did that sort of pan out? Like, what is the result of that discussion? Did you wind up allowing changes to be made? Yeah, definitely. Um, As for like the actual judging, the rules are basically, you know, deadline to deadline. So whatever you have, submit it, and that is what will be judged. But after that, I mean, now you can, you know, do whatever you want with it. And it's not exclusive to allowing us to put on the cartridge, because that's one of the things about submitting is that by submitting, you're also allowing us, giving us permission to put it as part of the competition cartridge. But um, we've kind of opened it up and trying to made it as flexible as possible. So, I mean, make changes, fix bugs, make it make it twice as long. <laughs> Were last year's entries as sort of diverse in gameplay, I guess? It seems like this year's entries are all so very different. Yeah, they are a lot of different. And actually, that's one thing that I like about this competition or like NES Homebrew in general, like gaming itself has changed so much. And like, especially with the indie gaming scene, like there's, there's kind of games you've never seen before. And then all of a sudden people are like, Hey, I could do that on the NES. And like, you see like just some, some strange stuff that you would never, you'd never see commercially. Let's put it that way. But you know, as a little, little game to play or whatever, you know, it's a lot of fun. I still can't get over star evil, but it's the best. I, just can't i can't let it go (laughs) (sighs) so good it's so good so from your perspective what did you kind of feel were like the kind of highlights of this year's uh, entries i would say the uh highlights this year is just kind of like kevin was saying the the variety you know like you're gonna pick this up and you're not gonna get 13 platforming games you know you're not like you have everything, you have puzzles, you have platforming, you know, just stuff you've never seen before. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the weird things about, I think it was the 2014 was that the only platformer like won everything. And it was like, well, maybe there's some extra content to things like PCB Designer by INL. Yeah, honestly, that that was one of my favorite uh, favorite games. And I don't know why people don't like, didn't score it that well, but. It seems like platformers generally are sort of what people are drawn to. I, I know anytime anyone announces like a, a platformer homebrew, people sort of lose their minds and get excited. So I think it, it has sort of a leg up. So I'll be curious to see this year if, if a platformer sort of comes out ahead or, or sort of how the overall hierarchy is of, of the scores of the various projects. They, they were very diverse, so it's, it's going to be tough to, to, you can't just like look at them and say, that's the clear winner. Yeah. You know, they, they all have strong points. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll see. There might be some surprises. 
No, I'm hoping so. Like they're just so creative. I still, <laughs> still cannot get over some of them. I think that's one of the main strengths of this competition. Like if you released sort of a, a demo in itself, you know, outside of a competition, like it might easily be overlooked because it's not sort of a full experience as far as like gameplay or a story, you know, people might easily dismiss it, but in the context of a competition, you know, especially for the judges who are sort of um, forced to play them, really sort of makes you sort of look deeper into them like it's something you would necessarily maybe dismiss immediately or a quicker otherwise like you're playing these games and you're sort of looking at their strengths and sort of what they add what value they contain and it's it's been sort of eye-opening to me because there's there's been some projects especially this year that there's more there than what you might see you know from first impression yeah i agree cool well uh is there anything else brad that you would sort of like to uh that we didn't touch on that you'd like to sort of say to the world yeah i just want to uh i want to thank all the people who entered you know i mean this would be nothing nothing without you and i mean i hope we we see more from everyone in the future and thank you for everything that you've done and everyone in the community and the more attention we can bring the better as far as i'm concerned I mean, I know a lot of people aren't for the commercialization of, of their hobbies and stuff like that. Um, and I'm not necessarily either, you know, the word oversaturation has, has popped up here and there, but, um, I think this is like a community effort and I'd like to see more of a community effort. Like I want to see everybody coming together and having a good time and making games. And for those people who stumbled upon this podcast and maybe haven't known where to go, um, you know, where the stuff has been discussed, where can they go to find out more information about the, the competition? Um, well, there's, there's usually threads on uh, Nintendo Age and NES Dev, but those will all be linked from the uh, website, which is currently nesdevcompo.nintendoage.com. Okay. Well, awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for chatting with us again. And yeah, just for sharing your thoughts about various things.
Hi, this is uh, this is Doug Fraker, and uh, I go by uh, Doug F on uh, the NESDEF forums. And uh, I've made about four or five games for the Nintendo. The latest one was uh, for the competition, uh, Jam and Honey. So I guess we're going to be talking about that. So tell us a little bit about your background. Um, what sort of programming experience do you have? Uh, and kind of what else have you sort of done in the community over time? Well, honestly, before I started working on games, almost zero programming experience. Like I, I took a few classes, but not, nothing that really prepared me for um, making a video game. I went through the um, the nerdy nights. Uh, I don't know where I saw that, but uh, you know that really helped, and I I just kind of just figured it out. So really, I've been I've been trying to figure it out since then. But well, you write most of your games in C, though, right? How'd you sort of come across that knowledge? Yeah, yeah. I don't have like a huge C background myself, so but it, I think it's a lot easier to figure out uh, the code in C than in assembly. I just thought, you know. It would be easier to figure it out. Actually, it took me a long time to uh, convert over to the C. Uh, and, the, and the Jam and Honey is the first game that I that I programmed in C. So, what is the sort of the style of Jam and Honey? Your uh, twenty seventeen compo entry or twenty eighteen? My goodness, I tried to go like completely retro, like it's early, early Nintendo, like Donkey Kong style game. You know, it's non-scrolling. You're uh, you're jumping on platforms, climbing up ladders, you're collecting coins. So it's it's supposed to be like a throwback to the very early games, like um, and even before Nintendo. I, I used to play a game called um, I think it was called Jumpman Junior on the on the Atari, um, not like the Atari computer, not the not the Atari uh, console. It seems like you have really extensive programming knowledge from the tutorials you've done and sort of the posts that you make. Uh, so I'm actually surprised that you said you don't have much experience from before you started programming games. But what have your sort of previous experiences taught you that helped you, uh, you know, with this specific com- competition for this entry? It's hard to say, uh, you know, what what prepared me for the competition. Um I wanted to make something really small, you know, like really easy. And it just seemed like this would be uh, this idea of like doing something like Donkey Kong would be easy to do. Uh, like the the other things that I've done, the uh, the ninja game that, that I made, uh, that took me two years. And that was like two years of really hard work. And I just wanted to do something simple because uh, I, think, I think I had like three months left. And you can't do uh, like a really advanced game in, th- in three months. No, no way. Definitely not. So you started Jam and Honey, what, in like October then? Yeah, about then. Huh. And you did it all on C? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I, I, I had to rewrite some of the um, uh, subroutines in assembly because it was taking up too much room. Like, I, I ran out of room real fast. And just at the end, I was just like trying to figure out. Because uh, w- when you write it in C, it kind of it's kind of like clunky, big code and you can kind of do things a lot more um, efficiently in ASM. So, where did the idea come from for Jam and Honey? Did the the did the mapper you know that they're going to use for the competition cartridge? Did that help shape things at all, or did it just sort of come out of nowhere? I don't, I don't know. I just sort of um, I, w- I want to do something musical, so that's why she's playing a guitar. Ah. Uh, and my first sketches were just um, you know ladders and platforms, and I just drew a little girl with a guitar. For a while, it was called Guitar Girl. 
Yeah, I saw some debates about the uh, what you were going to call it online, and sort of you'd asked questions about it, and that was that was kind of interesting to see. But then Jam and Honey works really well. Yeah, I think so. I'm not really good at coming up with names. Like uh, every single name of the characters in the game, uh, I had like five, six different versions of what they could be, and in the end, I, I still not, I'm not 100 percent happy of how they all came out. <laughs> Man, I've had that problem all my life. Anytime I draw like a map, naming cities, characters, whatever, it's always just a crapshoot. Was there anything you were hoping to accomplish in terms of goals, whether programming-wise, life goals, whatever? I think the goal here was just to um, make a game in C, just because I, I have the whole t- tutorial on how to make a game in C. I thought I've, it's about time I made a game, you know? <laughs> I made a um, like a little space shooter game, but it's it was I spent like two weeks on it. It was not much of anything. <laughs> yeah, it's always funny. Tutorial writers always have that rap of uh, those who can't do teach. So it's it's good to see <laughs> actually. You know, sort of true. But I, you know, I I got a book now on uh, how to program in C. So maybe I can actually learn it myself. Go back over all the tutorials <laughs> and actually like figure out what I did wrong. <laughs> I got a lot of complaints. So somebody on Reddit, somebody posted the the uh, tutorials on Reddit, and I got nothing but complaints from people who actually know how to program. Well, that's Reddit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so Jam and Honey, it, it's got a pretty charming graphical style. Like, what what was the crea- creation process like of coming up with ha- the visual style? I guess how it looks. I like to draw just with pens and markers and um and then i will take a picture of it take it over to the computer in photoshop and just like reduce its size until it looks like something like a nintendo game huh and then and then uh actually uh, i think i bought a new program what did i get i got asaprite i don't know how to pronounce that i have that too yeah it's a nice little program so this was, this was also the first project i i used that on Good for checking like animations and stuff. Yeah, it really helps because you can see how uh, you can like click animate and you can see how all the different pictures go together. Yeah, what do you normally use? What did you use before that, I guess? Before that, I was using uh, YYCHR. Yeah, I use that in a combination of paint myself. I am an old school painter, so. <sighs> so weird. What do you say? Like Microsoft Paint? Yeah, it's oh, yeah. so weird. Yeah, I know a lot of people who still use that. Weirdos. All of you. XP, man. XP for life. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw during the development phase, you toyed with doing like a black background, uh, sort of like the old arcade styled games. uh, But then you ended up going with a white background in the end. Sort of. Can you tell us about that a bit? Oh, that's a tough call. You know, like I was about 99% done and then I was just playing around with the colors and uh, the black background looked good. But a lot of the uh, little things didn't work out so well because I think the eyes uh, were white and I had completely run out of palette colors and I was using just the background white as the white for the eyes. So when it went to black, it kind of looked weird. So music is a big part of like the theme of the game with, you know, Jam and Honey with her guitar and all that. What was it like sort of collaborating with S-Lib? That's tricky because he seems like, uh, I think he's going to college right now so he seemed really busy (laughs) honestly i i didn't get a lot of feedback from him i got a lot of feedback from the the nesdev community uh on you know just play tests that was most of my process was just listening to uh, people tell me all the bugs in my game and trying to figure out how to fix them before the time ran out (laughs) 
Speaking of bugs, um, like what was the testing process like? Like how did playing it or like getting feedback help shape the game? I think it really helps to have a lot of people test the game because they come up with stuff that you never would have thought of or they are jumping in corners that you never would have thought to jump in. Realize that that's completely broken if you jump way in the corner or way off to the side or... Yep. It's interesting that having other people, to, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to have someone like actually sit in front of me and play it while they watch, but that doesn't really work out. <laughs> yeah, you never know what people try completely different things that you'd never even think of trying. Oh, they do. They break your game faster than anything just because they don't know how to play it. It's the worst. It's also the best. <laughs> so uh, what kind of hurdles did you encounter along the way? What challenges sort of cropped up as you as you went along? Honestly, I think the main problem was uh, running out of room. Like every time I added something, I completely ran out of room and I had to figure out how I'm going to crunch this, how am I going to compress this. I ended up putting a lot of the, the data into the uh, character graphics. Are you happy with how everything turned out? Like, is there anything you would have done differently in hindsight? I think um, at the, uh, the ending, like right after you win the game, I was going to have like a butterfly or a bee flying around, something moving in the background. But like I said, I was out of space and I couldn't do that kind of detailed programming for the end of the game. That's pretty much it. What, uh, what would you say your greatest successes with the project were? I liked how uh, a lot of the animations came out. And they are very nice, yeah. In the past, that's sort of been my weak spot is uh, coming up with animations that look like anything. <laughs> I used to do like little blobs that bounce around and they, I'm like, oh, that's kind of lame, but. <laughs> no, I really liked your enemies with the game. Like they just had a lot of character to them and they, the way that you used the colors and restrictions of the NES were just awesome. Yeah, I, I had real problems with the color restrictions on this game. Because you can uh, uh, pick the colors of the of the girl at the beginning. Yeah. She basically uses up two full palettes for herself. Wow. And I had one other palette for coins and uh, movable platforms. So I had like one palette left for every enemy in the game. You've got what, four or five, maybe six enemies in there? I think it was five, yeah. Huh. Because I had a B and that's using one of the coin colors for the B. Yeah, I saw that. Do you uh do you have any plans to expand the project post com- competition or is it pretty much done? No, probably not. I, I like to uh, just move on once something's done and Heck yeah. figure something else out. Uh, anything else you want to sort of want to share with us or anything we missed? I I uh, changed the um what's the what's the music code called? Uh, Famitone. I cha- I I edited that and I posted that on um Nintendo Age uh, somewhere. So it's got some a little bit more of the effects. the The main one that I care about is the volume. I'm with you there. I would love. Yeah, that's that's definitely the main thing that's lacking. I got it working now, so I'm kind of happy about that. Hey, I like that about these open source projects that people can just sort of jump in and and sort of fiddle with them and make them sort of answer some of those complaints that have been raised over the years. But yeah, oh, so with music being a major theme in the game, is there a specific track you'd like to listeners to hear? You could play the intro, but that's kind of long. Oh, long is good with us. So yeah, thanks for coming on, Doug. Uh, This is great to finally chat with you. I mean, you've done tons in the community that we will touch on another day. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on.
So one of the most exciting projects that's sort of been talked about and sort of discussed on the, the forums has been a game called Project Blue, which we talked about a couple episodes ago when talking about Franken graphics and some of her work. But we are actually here with Toggle Switch, the main programmer. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. Pretty good. Thanks for coming on. And so you're kind of, I, I don't want to say new, because I know a lot of people like lurk uh, behind the scenes, but you haven't posted a whole lot publicly. Uh, so you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, what else you've maybe done? Is this your first game? Uh, first NES project? That type of thing? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've been lurking for probably since 2015 or so. And uh yeah, I tried to program for the Nintendo all the way back in like 2002, actually, and I kind of looked into it a little bit, and the existing documentation at that time was pretty poor, so <laughs> I kind of gave it up really quick, and then I tried again like five or six years later, and it was a little easier, and it still just didn't really feel like there was an- enough out there yet, and this time around when I looked into it, I was like, oh, this is possible now, and people are doing it and doing it well, so I kind of started looking into it, and for me, for a long time, the uh, problem I was having was I'm not a very good artist and I wasn't very happy with the graphics that I was making. And uh, that was kind of like a big barrier for me to like actually getting serious with it for a while. And then like, yeah, like about last year sometime, uh, I just decided, you know, I'm going to go and find some graphics that someone's posted online for free and I'm just going to use them to create a project of my own. So this is like the first project that kind of came out of that and I've just been building it piece by piece from the ground up and trying to, uh, okay, now I need this thing, now I need that thing and uh, honestly kind of got a lot further along than I ever expected to and eventually got to the point where I was like, hey, I could make a game out of this and at that point in time I started looking for some original graphics to work with uh, so that we could maybe think about releasing it uh, without stealing someone else's work. (laughs) It's amazing to me because like you said, you've been lurking for so long and like you weren't on really on anyone's radar as far as I know. And you're sort of learning as you go. And when I was checking out the thread that you posted on Nestev about the project, you know, people were asking if it was a static screen by screen game or if it was a scrolling game. And then toward the end of the thread, you you said so nonchalantly, like, oh, yeah, it's a screen by screen. And I, you know, doing scrolling was going to be too overwhelming. But now that I see how doable it is, I wish I would have done it. And it, it blows my mind because scrolling is such like a, a complicated thing to me personally, that you still being new at it, you think you, you said so surely that you could have done it. That's your your uh, confidence is it's inspiring to me for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I uh I definitely I've gotten it I've gotten scrolling working and I with the graphics and everything was fine. I actually had that working uh at an earlier point in time in this project. But I the the block I had was how am I going to fit all of this information into into RAM at once? How am I going to have all the collision data and all that stuff uh stored in RAM at once and I just I didn't see how to do it. And now I see that that's actually not so hard. And I, I figured out how it could be done. But it's really overwhelming working with a Nintendo at first, because your resources are so limited. And coming from more modern systems like I am, it's like, it's kind of terrifying having such a small amount of variables to work with. And, and I was just like, Oh, there's no way there'll be enough room for that. And I see now how you can store just the data that you need. And it's it's doable. It's just more complex than I uh, originally 
thought it would be. <laughs> All right, so let's take a couple steps back here. You know, Bo and I have had the chance to play the game, but people listening might not know much about your project yet. Um, so can you like briefly describe the gameplay style? I've definitely gotten a couple of comparisons to Battle Kid, which uh, <laughs> is is not intentional on my part because I've never actually played Battle Kid. Uh, but I was inspired when I when I didn't have scrolling working, and I was kind of frustrated by that. Um, I was inspired by the fact that Battle Kid actually didn't have scrolling either, and was still kind of a popular, successful game. So I was like, maybe I don't need scrolling. Oh yeah, and so that's honestly like the biggest thing that I took from Battle Kid. But I see the other comparisons. But uh, for me, the the biggest the biggest inspirations I had for gameplay were definitely Mega Man and Super Mario Brothers. The movement is totally based on Super Mario Brothers, the way that your the character accelerates and decelerates and um, all that is based on this document I found online that kind of spells out how Mario moves and all the the different nuances of his movement. And uh, so more or less, the character moves like Mario. He shoots projectiles like Mega Man, has like a life bar like Mega Man. And yeah, you are, it's a platformer. So you're just kind of running through and shooting enemies and grabbing coins and evading uh, lasers and pools of toxic waste and stuff like that. With using or sort of borrowing some of the physics and stuff from uh, Super Mario Brothers, did that make it easier or harder to sort of get going with things? Well, it's kind of both in a way because uh, it gave me uh, something to compare it to that I was comfortable with and familiar with. And the other nice thing about it was uh, I th- I think a lot of homebrew games are kind of notorious for having poor controls. Yes. And so I was like, you know, if I steal a control scheme that's already been well designed by a set of professionals, then I don't need to spend forever trying to get it right, you know. And so it's not exactly like Mario, like a lot of the constants have been changed. You can't run as fast as Mario can. You accelerate a little bit slower than he does. But the basic uh, concepts in Mario are almost all there. I, I noticed that when I was playing it, that it felt very familiar and I couldn't figure out like what game that was from where I could sort of run and like get momentum up and like hold the jump a little higher, harder than normal. And it was Super Mario Brothers once I once I looked into it. That was great. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely with the if you hold down the jump button, you will stay up in the air longer. You'll jump higher. And the way that works actually is the gravity that is affecting you is lower when you hold the button. Mm. Oh, that's the way it works in Mario. Nice. I haven't got to uh, jumping and physics or gravity and all that. So that's interesting. Huh? Yeah, it was uh, that was like kind of daunting to me. I always was pretty poor at physics. I was usually good at at science classes, but I was bad at physics in school. So I was a little scared to do it. You did pretty good. Hey, you did great. So when did you start working on Project Blue? In the spring of last year. The previous uh, Nintendo homebrew competition had just wrapped up, and they had some really good entries last year, um, some really impressive stuff, and I was like, maybe I could do that. Um, So I was really impressed by, of course, uh, Twin Dragons. Oh, yeah. And then there was the, uh, was it Nebs and Debs, or Debs and Nebs, I can't Mm -hmm. remember. Yeah. 
that one was really great too and really creative in its gameplay and so yeah i was really inspired by what those games were doing and i think around that time maybe uh twin dragons was starting their kickstarter campaign but maybe i'm wrong about that it would have been april yeah yeah that definitely also kind of inspired inspired me uh when i saw just kind of the movement that that was getting and just see the reception that that those games were receiving has been inspiring for sure yeah people get excited when they see a good game it just it makes you want to make your own so where did the basic i guess idea for project blue come from in terms of uh sort of narrative i mean you sort of told us some of the gameplay stuff but you've got quite a quite a story there so basically it started out like i'm going to create a character you know, that's based on what I looked like in the 1980s. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which is, you know, I wore denim jackets and blue jeans and, you know, t-shirts. And I was a little eight-year-old kid, a little six-year-old kid. <laughs> I still dress like that, so I'm not sure what you're getting at. Uh, I still wear jeans. I don't really wear denim vests anymore, but that's the that's the general look of the character. So originally, there wasn't really much of a storyline. It was just kind of him running around and blowing up robots. And once I started bringing other people into the project, uh, they started asking me questions, you know, like, who is this kid? What's his deal? What's going on? Um, And so over time, it's kind of evolved a bit. But at this point in time, um, Blue is a kind of like a street urchin from a city in the future. It's kind of like a cyberpunk future. And uh, he's been kind of kidnapped and artificially augmented by this kind of evil corporation called Omnicore. Ah, yes. At the beginning of the game is kind of him breaking out of his uh, test tube and trying to break out of the research facility that he's kind of been locked inside. That was a really neat animation that you had when the game first starts and you sort of jump up just a few pixels and the thing breaks. Oh, you like that. Oh, yeah. Cool. We're not sure if we're going to keep that or not. Eventually, we want to make it a little cleaner so it's easier to see what's going on. But I felt like it was maybe a little too obtuse at the beginning. I caught it. Okay, cool. So did the title come first or like how did you come up with the title basically? Uh, all right, so this is an interesting story. I used to live in Spain. I was a, a, a backpacker for a while in my early 20s, and I was living in Spain and traveling around. And this uh, this woman I was traveling with, I was traveling with this group of English people, and there was a woman in the group who had a son named Blue. Ah. And uh, the name kind of always stuck with me. And then years later, my sister-in-law gave my nephew the chance to name their newborn child, and he randomly chose the name Blue as well. And so his name, that's kind of how the name kind of came about in my head. And then uh, he was, you know, wearing the blue jeans and the denim jacket, so I just kind of called him Blue. Ah. And then when we were coming up for the name of the game, it actually was uh, Franken Graphics who came up with the name Project Blue. And that's actually at the point in time where we chose kind of the narrative where he was part of this secret kind of corporate slash military project. I know like a lot of people with the uh, the Nestev competition, they, they set themselves specific goals, whether they want to make something in particular or they 
you know, just want to finish something like it's structured so that you actually finish things. Uh, did you have anything in mind or things that you wanted to learn? My first and foremost goal uh, was to make a game that was about on the complexity level of Super Mario Brothers. And I think in some ways we've kind of surpassed that. And in some ways, you know, we're, we're a little behind it with, the uh, uh, you know, like we don't have scrolling, for example. So there's some ways in which it's not as technical as as Super Mario. And then there's other ways where I feel like there's more interaction between objects and stuff that uh, Super Mario doesn't have. Yeah. So that was kind of my original goal was to get something around on that complexity level. And uh, one thing I'm really trying to avoid is there's a lot of people on the forums and I'm not going to name names and I'm not putting anybody down who are substantially better than I am at programming in terms of what they know how to do on the Nintendo. And yet they don't have any completed games. And I think that's because they um, are focused too much on perfectionism, maybe. And they like, oh, I can do this better and I'm going to do this more efficiently or whatever. And I was just kind of like, I'm trying to avoid that. And like, I want to get this <laughs> out there. And then on the other side, Frank and Graphics, my graphics partner, uh, she's really kind of more of a perfectionist herself, I think. And I think it's a great for us to be working together because I want to get it done. And she's like, yeah, but maybe make it a little better. And so we kind of find a middle ground there. And I think it's working pretty well. So what is that process like of working together? Like what's the division of labor? I've done all the programming. Uh, so far, I've done all the sound, but that might change. And then she's done all of the graphics. And uh, we've been splitting the kind of game design and level design. Hmm. So she will, you know, throw ideas at me that's like, hey, I want to, you know, have this. And I'll say, well, maybe we could do it like this. And she'll say, yeah, but that's not as good as this. And <laughs> we'll find some sort of ground where uh, it's something that I can implement in a reasonable amount of time and still kind of be, you know, something close to what she's trying to get at. So what hurdles did you encounter along the way of making this project so far? Like what was the hardest thing you've encountered? So many things just like, honestly, it's the bugs. It's the inexplicable, like <laughs> there's bugs that I don't know how I fixed them. I don't know why they weren't working in the first place. <laughs> Those are the best bugs. And then like literally like four months later, you're reading a forum thread and you're like, Oh, that was my problem. <laughs> and it was, you know, documented in this one obscure thread in this one place. And, you know, maybe somewhere on the wiki somewhere. I'm not going to put anybody who's, you know, documenting this stuff down. They're doing an amazing job. But the game, the system is so weird that, yeah, there's, there's stuff that has, you know, been confounding me to this day about things that are, should be really easy. I guess the most annoying one for me has been just weird graphical glitches where I can't figure out why things aren't working and it just ends up being the weirdest, like obscurest. Well, if you write to this register, it screws up that register type thing where you're like, oh, how am I supposed to know that? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Four months is pretty quick turnaround time in terms of like figuring out conceptually why something was going a certain way. It's taken me sometimes years before <laughs> I actually get the real reason. Yeah, I mean, honestly, my, my day job is, 
pretty is not very demanding. So <laughs> that's awesome. I have a lot of time to spend just screwing around on on this game, which is how I've been able to do it uh, in the time that I've been able to do it for sure. Is there anything that you would have done differently sort of in hindsight, either in terms of uh, mechanics or features or just the working process that you went through? Yeah, I definitely, you know, would go back in time and spend five minutes explaining to myself how I could be, how things could scroll. Because uh, I would say the main uh, shortcoming of this game for me as a designer is that we've got the GAT graphics based on Mario, right? Mm-hmm. And Mario has a similar style with the acceleration as a game like uh, even something more advanced like Sonic the Hedgehog, right? Where you kind of just want to run and just go and jump over stuff and just go for it, you know? And that's kind of where the fun comes from in those games. And uh, by not having scrolling, I've I've removed that from the game. And so we've had to kind of design it around different elements. And that's been a fun process. And I think it's worked out really well. But uh, that's definitely my biggest regret is not being able to kind of rip off that old school Mario Sonic the Hedgehog style of gameplay where you just go and it's like speedrun heaven. It would be a different uh, style of game for sure. Definitely. I think that it opened up the possibilities for you guys to like, and and it looked like you you had done that, you know, when I played through it a little bit. Um, you have, you know, some sort of puzzles to where you, you don't know that you can jump this direction off screen and then get to another ledge on the next screen. So there's a little bit of fun game design around that too. You guys did good. No, it's been fun to kind of say, okay, well, we can't do this the stereotypical way that it would be done. So now how are we going to design something new and keep it still within the same template, but have a different, more confined uh, play style? So what have been the greatest successes with the project so far? I know that anything, like doing anything on the NES feels like a success, but is there anything that sort of stands out? Yeah, I mean, like you said, doing anything is a success. It feels kind of amazing to have a game at this point and to be able to send it to people and have them be like, you made this? Because, you know, I'm kind of a nerdy guy, obviously, and I work on projects here and there and been telling my friends I'm going to make a Nintendo game. They're like, yeah, sure. And so when you actually have something and show it to people and watch them play it, um, it's pretty exciting. Uh, I was able to watch my brother play it a couple weeks ago and that was great because I just barely got my EverDrive in the mail. So I had been waiting for so long to <laughs> try it on a real game on a real system. Oh, so you actually I read that you created a whole game editor to sort of make this uh, level creation process easier. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a Nintendo screen to fill it up with graphics is 1024 bytes of data and you know at first you know when you're working through some easy tutorials or whatever you feel like oh you can just enter the numbers and how quick that is wow and then eventually you're like man this is i'm gonna enter 1024 numbers to get a screen of data and that's one screen and then if i want to edit it i have to search through this pile of numbers and like no i'm not doing that so (laughs) i was like how can i do this faster And I know there are tools out there already, like NES screen tool or whatever. Um, But I just kind of wanted to create my own thing. I was like, it's not a very complicated program to build. And I think 
in the end, it'll end up saving me a lot of time. So basically what it does is it allows you to create palettes. Um, it allows you to take the tile set and create meta tiles out of those. And then you use the meta tiles to build screens. Uh, it allows you to build up to 64 screens at once, which I didn't think was a lot. But now that <laughs> I have the game built is a ton of screens. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. First level is long. Yeah, it's huge. I think we're only going to do four levels, so it's not going to be, uh, it's going to be four or five levels. And I was originally planning to do eight. And then when I saw how big 64 screens actually was, I was like, well, (laughs) (laughs) maybe not. And then it allows you to do various things like change the name of the level and stuff like that. And then, uh, you click a button and you give it a, an NES ROM. And it takes the ROM and puts all the level data into the place where the ROM expects it to be. And then you have a game. And so I have this for a couple of reasons. You know, first of all, it's great as a design tool for for us to use to build the game. Uh, you can build the, uh, you can add objects to the screen, enemies and all that stuff inside the level editor. So you do all the hard work inside the level editor, which makes it easy and fun work, really. And then you just click a button and have it inside a game that you can use. And what I'm eventually going to do is I'm going to dumb it down massively by taking out a lot of features and I'm going to release it to the general public so they can make their own levels. And I just am going to have to remove features so that people don't do anything that, you know, breaks the game. (laughs) And uh, there's stuff that's there that makes sense for us to have access to. But if I give anybody access to it, they're just going to cause problems for themselves and think it doesn't work so i had to do the same thing with mine uh, just ripped out tons of stuff for that reason yeah your current version is that easy enough that even franken graphics she can use that to build levels and send them your way yeah um so i gave her like a little 10 minute tutorial video on you know here's the basics of how it works because you build tools for yourself and it seems very obvious how things work but i know from experience that it's People have a hard time with stuff like that. So Hmm. uh, just explained all the ins and outs of it. And when we come out with the real thing uh, for public release, then I'll do something similar. You know, I'll create probably like a 20 20 minute to half an hour video of me just creating a screen from scratch uh, with a tile set and then exporting it to a into a ROM and playing them playing through the screen. So I know when you sort of set out to make this project, you know, the competition was sort of the end goal. Is there, do you have goals that you're like plans to expand the project after the competition? Are you going to sell the game anywhere? Like what are your plans? Uh, Yeah. So we're releasing the first level for the competition and that's kind of, kind of be our demo. And then um, sometime later this year, probably, around the fall of this year, I want to do a Kickstarter uh, for cartridges for the full game. We'll do a complete in box. We've actually uh, hired a uh, an artist to do kind of box art and label art and manual art for us. And that's going to be part of the Kickstarter as well. We're going to try to do some special stuff for that. And Yeah, so I'm pretty excited to do that. But what I want to do is make it so that by the time the Kickstarter happens, the game is pretty much done. 
And uh, we're not going to say, hey, give us money and we'll get you a game in a year and a half or whatever. <laughs> we just want to have the Kickstarter to basically raise funds to uh, pay our artists and uh, cartridges, really. Hmm. It's going to be the main expenses. Yeah, yeah, they add up. Yeah, and printing manuals and all that stuff. Cool. So yeah, like I said, I'm a big fan of the music, and we are going to listen to the level one theme or song. So here is that. Thanks for coming on, Toggle Switch. Thanks for having me. So it was really awesome talking to all those guys, huh? Yeah, jeesh, like, just so much stuff to learn about. Yeah, and, you know, we, we know some of these guys pretty well, and but still, like, talking to them one-on-one, or I guess it's two-on-one, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's pretty, it's really interesting, sort of learning, you know, what what their thought processes were, what their inspirations were. Um, man, it, it's been really informative. Well, there are people too that, you know, you've emailed back and forth with for years, but to finally hear the voice is just great. So thank you to all who came on and chatted with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we will be back next time for with, uh, more interviews, more people that we've chatted with and that, uh, have some great stories to tell. So this is only the beginning. Um, so if you like what you hear and you want to follow Bo and I on Twitter, I can be found at a ton of glaciers. Bo can be found at Soul Goose. 
And as I mentioned last episode, we did open up a Patreon, uh, so I want to thank everyone that's gone there to donate. It does help us out a lot um, with the cost of uh, hosting these MP3s. Um, so if you want to check that out, it can be found at patreon.com slash line. And you can always email us directly at nesassemblyline at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. We'll uh, answer the questions on a future episode. We do want to thank everyone for sticking around and listen. We know this was a longer episode than normal and definitely a different structure. So if you absolutely hated it, uh, you can just skip the next episode. And after that, we'll be back to our normal structure. <laughs> um, but hopefully there's uh, a little bit uh, in each of these episodes for everyone. Well, I'm going to warn you now, the next one's even longer. That's what she said. All right. Uh, so uh, do we have some music to take this episode out or what? Yeah, uh, we are going to play another track from Grunyozerka 2, which I still can't say, but whatever. And it's done by the amazing Shiru, who we covered his uh, game Alter Ego a while ago. But he's a very talented musician. And this one is called Lone Fighter, which you will recognize from the first few levels of Grunyozerka 2. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>